welcome to the Nurses for Healthy Environments podcast. I am Beth Shank, host of the podcast. We're in the series called the Nurses Actions for Climate Justice. And today, Dr. Robin Evans Agnew leads a conversation with Dr. Connie Nguyen Truong and Dr. Shamim Raka. And I chime in as well. The topic is fascinating. And please read the manuscript we refer to in the podcast. It is called Deconstructing Racialized Experiences in Healthcare what a missed opportunity for healing looks like, and healthcare resources for children and their families. The paper is linked in the show notes. Enjoy. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of Nurse Actions for Climate Justice podcast. My name's Robin Evans-Agnew. I'm one of the interviewers in this series. Uh, and in this series, we're showcasing actions uh, nurses are taking around the globe to address and advance climate justice for people in our planet. Um, totally excited, folks, today in our studio, because uh, none other than Beth Schenk, who's been helping uh, uh, produce this series with me, is, is here. Uh, she's from Washington State University, and also we it's like a Washington State University uh, <laughs> club soiree today, because um, we are partnering with the Asian American Pacific Islander Nurses Association to bring you a special look at ideologies and health and how they connect to climate justice for nurses. Asian xenophobia and anti-Asian racism is an important ideology for nurses to confront in their work. And um, this recent paper entitled Deconstructing Racialized Experiences in Healthcare, What a Missed Opportunity for Healing Looks Like and Healthcare Resources for Children and Their Families jumped out at me as being this most important topic. And uh, serendipity would uh, bring us that actually the WSU people who wrote this are here in the room, or two of the, the member team, uh, Dr. Connie uh, Trong, uh, Dr. Connie Nguyen Trong and Dr. Shamin Raka are here in the studio today. Dr. Uh, Nguyen Trong is a tenured associate professor at WSU College of Nursing, faculty affiliate with WSU Elson Floyd College of Medicine, and has 20 years of combined nursing expertise as a nurse scientist, educator, population, community health nursing, I love it all, and intermediate progressive care clinical nursing. Um, also, but one of the, you know, another member of the team here, Dr. Shamim Raka, is an associate professor in the Department of Teaching and Learning at Washington State University College of Education. Prior to becoming a professor, Dr. Raka taught for 17 years at the elementary and middle school levels. Dr. Raka's research examines the use of culturally sustaining and anti-racist pedagogy to increase student engagement and improve student academic opportunities and outcomes. Welcome to the both of you. Welcome, Connie. I'm so glad you're here and you could join us today. How are you doing? Thank you so much for having us. I'm doing fine at this time. Uh, I hope that it's okay that there may be lots of moments of pauses. <laughs> That's right. It's the podcast. It's the podcast yeah. on Zoom kind of thing. How are you, Shamim? I'm glad you were here today. I'm, I'm very glad to be here and honored to be representing this topic and, and talking about such an important uh, topic. With you. It is. It is interesting. What an interesting topic. And and Beth, you, you should say hi to the, your listening audience as well. They've been missing your voice. Pleasure to be here. And I uh, would just comment that um, regarding the climate justice series of the podcast, it's been a nice experience for me to listen to Robin do interviews and to still get to know the voices of these 
all the people that he's interviewed. It's a really intimate way of teaching, I think, and of learning and of spending time with each other. And uh, so I'm really honored to be able to listen in and chime in now and then on today's conversation. It sounds utterly fascinating. Thank you. Well, lovely. Well, we'll jump right in because, folks, this really is. This is one of the nubbins. Uh, that's a British expression, um, but it's really it's a core part of justice work, right? Um, working on racism and in nursing. Um, so I, I, I'd really like both of you to sort of start off. Maybe maybe Connie can can start because you you threw me a heart on the Zoom, so I love it. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about yourselves and what prompted you to partner together to write this article. Thank you. Um... Besides that wonderful introduction, thank you, Robin, and very warm and um, really grateful in terms of being able to be in this space because before even using the R or the AR word, um, when I say before, before this thing called COVID-19 pandemic, um, there are, I received guidance in terms of even word selection. Hmm. Um, and, uh, and that being said, now, it's okay to even be more openly and talk about anti-racism um, and um, what it means to be anti-racist. And it really is um, a life, been a, a part of like a lifelong journey, both in lived experience as well as um, formal education. Um, and and so I'll share a little bit of more, more of that later, um, but I think it takes a lot of bravery to even be this outwardly in terms of aligning that this is the work that I do with my team and partners um, and then being able to um, work with people who um, I can trust to be in the space because it really does tap into the cognitive, um, affective and psychomotor domains um, and lots of deep reflection. So that's a little bit about myself um, in terms of work-wise, but uh, greatly inspired by the community partners and community leaders and members that I work with. And that's what really drives me to be able to do this work. And then thinking of who have I had this courageous conversation um, with Dr. Shamim Rauka. I still remember we're sitting side by side in the table and it was the first inaugural Washington State University of Vancouver faculty and staff of color um, celebrating the four C's community connection, celebration, and conversation. And I felt like I've known Shamim my entire, well, even though that life started in 2015 at WC, but I felt like I've known her for quite some time. And that just shows the, the power of really embracing um, what it means to people to do this work. I'll, wow. pass, I'll pass this mic over to Robin. Well, Shamim, you were there at the table when you were sort of conceiving this work. What, what, what? Brought it about. I mean, um, Connie talks about the sort of you know the need for these kinds of conversations, but sort of what prompted this? And Connie leaned into you and said, "Hey, let's write this article." How, how did this? How did this? How does this thinking came about? Well, um, Connie may have a different story. It was the time of beginning COVID, so my brain probably isn't as clear on this as I'd like it to. <laughs> uh, but I do recall Connie saying, "You know, we we should write a paper together." Um, and she brought in two other, a nursing student and Dr. Etty. Um, and I don't think we knew what we were gonna write about. I think we knew that there was an increase in racism going on, even from the outset of, of COVID-19. And um, we sat down and threw out a bunch of ideas of what we can write about. And 
And it was through telling stories to one another and sharing our experiences with what was going on that it made sense all of a sudden to take what little expertise I have in critical race theory and Asian crit and, and help think about what that might look like in healthcare. For those so, of you, for those of you that haven't read this article, you should go out and and, and read this article. I'm I'm hoping we can convince everybody to 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 assign this article for their for their reading because there's there's just this amazing story about a family that experiences racism, in in a in a community center, right? And they come into the clinic, and they want to talk about this, and they get rebuffed, and it's just it just it it, it just hits you right there that this is. This, I don't know whether it's a real exemplar or it's or it's a composite, um, but it but it really hit the mark with me in terms of what the healthcare provider needs to do right there in that moment to address racism. And you are you're working with a patient, but you're also pushing back against an ideology, right? You're pushing back against everything that is weighing down on people who have been marginalized and excluded. This is that part of a. I brought this up before Shamin. It's like I'm trying to be professional and not use my lacrimal ducks. Yeah. And Shamim, and certainly you can speak for yourself. Shamim's like, I don't know what professional means, but we're in this space together. So you use those lacrimal ducks. <laughs> <laughs> um, so this this is um you're bringing up something really important. We wanted to be able to um, one, honor the story that the family has brought forth um, and really grateful that the family provided me with permission to share, um, including um, the children, um, and then also bringing into the space with um, my, my, my partners, my team of healthcare providers and educators, and we wanted to be able to do right. And this is where the uh, really shining um, a light in terms of when we pause and really take in the environment in which each of the family member what they're experiencing. So even from in the waiting room to when um, coming into the office and then not knowing what to expect when a healthcare provider comes in um, and then also what that means um, post um, a hospital in terms of clinic care as well and the shock um, that we felt in terms of there were no next steps provided by the healthcare provider. Um, and it was very evident because of my work in adverse childhood experiences and with the literature review that points to um, one of the ACEs um, is around racial um, discrimination and the trauma and race-based stress. Um, and it's very real and, and the children and parents really needed to have that space um, with the provider and they, they tried and, and they were not able to and they decided not to ever come back. And it took a long time, about a year later for that family to build trust and rapport again, um, to establish care with a new healthcare provider um, because it was time for the annual care for that family. So there's that um, sustainability piece is the commitment of our team to um, when the community member brings a story to us, we respond. It's like when the community calls, we respond and in what ways um, and then what this can mean. And, it, and it, it's like when we're reading 
an article after an article, we had more questions. And then we're like, we need to, oh, now we need to, let's make sure we answer this question as well. And, um, and that's the strength, I think, of our commentary articles that we really were deconstructing in a way that helps to have a lot of pause and reflection, which is so critical. And the words, what, how, how words can heal and how words do not heal. If I may, Shamin, I'm going to pass the mic over to you. Yeah, Shamin, can you can you um, one of the one of the you know it's the it's it's really the second question I had. You know, you're you're from an education background, and and educators, uh, I've always I've always thought of ed, people in education as about being about twenty years ahead of nursing in terms of thinking about what should be done. Um, so here you are. How do you reach this healthcare provider? How do you get that healthcare provider instead of leaning back in their chair to lean in? What's the message to nurses about encountering a situation such as this with a family that's been experiencing discrimination, marginalization, racism, all of this, especially Asian racism, right? What's, what's your message to a healthcare provider? How do you reach them? Well, what we're doing here at WSU in Vancouver is we're attempting to teach about these topics to everyone, to our faculty and staff. So I don't think it's important just in education or in nursing, it's important all around. And the first, I, one of the th first things that we do is to try to get people to drop their guards mm -hmm. and realize that this problem, they didn't cause this problem of systemic racism, but they, that we all swim within it. And so the, the most important thing we can do is to, to listen to one another and to try to learn and to, to place ourselves in the position of learner rather than rebuffer or rather than um, combatter, right? That we, we have an opportunity here to learn so that we can do better. And so my message, I guess, to nurses would be what I would be to educators because I don't think the fields are all that different. Um, who's in the fields, who's the kind of training that's received in this area. I don't think they're all that different, that we're all healers in some way, um, is that we need to start listening and not being afraid of the stories we're being told. Like we need to really listen hard to them and then ask what's going on here. And I always tell my students, it's, it's like imagining that you take a mirror instead of pointing it outwards and saying, this is the problem of the people. This is the problem of the patient or a problem of the student look at yourself and say, is there some way in which I am participating in this problem? And, and don't do that defensively, but just do that openly, knowing your goal is to serve everybody and give everybody opportunity. What a wonderful world we'd have. I love that reorientation that you just did at the end to back to the goal. What's the goal here for the healthcare provider? Um, I, I really want to ask in the middle of this conversation, probably one of the most sensitive things is anti-Asian Asian racism as a thing or is it Asian xenophobia for nurses who claim Asian as an identity. It has been rife across the whole COVID experience, right? And, and this is why Apina came to us and said, we're really interested in having this conversation. So you've not only got to educate a healthcare provider, you've got to educate a healthcare provider and reach a healthcare provider who's already experienced, has some lived experience with 
uh, racist racist events. How how do you how how does that work, Connie? How does that work in the students that you're teaching and the and the students who are claiming Asian that you are teaching inside the nursing program? Um, this is where it's um, it's and I and I go back to reflection because that's been such an important part of my training and now more than ever um, is having it's being in a is that a safe and color brave space um, and what is my own comfort level in terms of being able to share about my my experience but in a way that can be heard within the context of a class setting um, so I have done that as an asynchronous video. So I've done that. Um, I didn't go in there with the expectations. So I think that that's helpful. Um, but providing it where there's also next steps. So whoever may be experiencing whatever it is they're experiencing, and then that there's available resources, and then actually providing what those resources are, but not making an assumption that that's those are resources that people need. It's like just keeping it really open-ended. That empowerment piece, I think, is really important. That's also um, a central um, tenant of popular education, also known as empowerment education, work that has been done by Dr. Paolo Freer um, uh, regarding the um, um, critical um, theory and oppression. Um, and I was finding that students were reaching out to me individually and either they would share about themselves as being a person of color um, and what they've had experienced. So that includes um, students who identify as Asian, for example, or Black, mm -hmm. um, Hispanic, or, or um, combined identities, um, intersectionality. So I was finding that um, also faculty um, and that affective side, mm -hmm. I don't know how often we teach to the affective domain. But I think because I shared that part, but in a way that is to mean to reach um, our students who are out there in the front line. Um, and so are our educators out there in the front line. And then being ready, I needed to also be ready for word choices and phrases that may be quite diverse. So I, I spoke, and that's why I'm so grateful to Shamim and Deborah Etienne, Lisa Angelesco, because we were able to really come back together because we wanted to um, have that safe space within each other because we, we, we were not sure of the reaction that may come our way um, and, and whatever that may be, um, because there are differences in opinions that I was hearing um, regarding about what, what is critical race theory, because that's not developed within the field of nursing. No. Um, that's within law. Um, and, that, and there's also been differences in opinion, um, um, depending on which organizational website um, regarding criticism, criticism around um, the theory as well. Um, what I appreciate is like, oh my gosh, we are talking. <laughs> we need to do this. Um, isn't there something, is, there's something I know. 
there's something about like <laughs> actually talking it and saying it yes. you began this conversation with that Connie and it's so important to have like to say the words critical race theory right you know it's all it's almost like it um now it's become such a contentious term um but you if you if you what you spell out in your paper you make it you 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 just it's it you're I don't know how you've been able to you've got a great writing team because you 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 put it down in a place that everybody can approach this this is not this is not it's not the language is not difficult to understand I was saying this to Beth I like papers that I can read and understand right but we that's one of our jobs as educators is to make the language so that people can talk about these things these difficult ideas these emotional ideas um I and i think if i recall connie uh when we started when when we really had that first conversation about deconstructing the experience of the family and i used terms like critical race theory and racism um, i think there was some hesitancy and because we were afraid of the backlash and, and actually using those words with gentle field. We've got a beautiful piece in education called what is critical race theory and what is it doing in such a nice field as education or something like that. It's a title like that. And I think I feel very much the same way about nursing. Like nurses go into nursing. They've got big hearts. They want to help be healers, you know? Um, yeah. And we didn't want to suggest that we understood the intention of, right. of the practitioner, but rather the outcome of the actions. And so we had to walk very carefully um, with that language and how we used it, but at the same time, not wanting to dull our point, not wanting to um, give an out to healthcare providers. And so that was an interesting line to walk in the writing of this paper. Yes, it was a respectful, appreciative, um graceful way of calling in mm -hmm. and and calling in is perhaps perhaps this moment where we we look at um you know uh, beth and i were were, were going to be a, a four-person team at the congress of parties or the conference of parties 26th meeting on global climate change in glasgow in a couple of weeks um we're posting this website posting this podcast up as part of a way to sort of generate language and conversation around what nurses should do for climate justice, not just climate change, but climate justice, because we know if we do not address climate justice, we're going to be nowhere in terms of helping communities survive climate change, right? Because we know uh, that those communities who are marginalized and excluded already are going to be disproportionately burdened. Um, so, so how does this language on racism and anti-racism work in nursing and in education how does this in your opinions how does this intersect with this idea around climate justice yes. um, based, based on my understanding which i this is what i appreciate is that there's um, um even the term climate justice you you're striving for that inclusive excellence by allowing mm -hmm. the, the the word the phrase to really be able to have where you're not having like these um like a predefined boundaries and i think that that's so important because if, even when doing this work together shimin with our um team partners we we had 
even like um, nursing specialty lens that we were bringing that were really diverse as well as um, in terms of our educational lens. And we definitely very much was, were talking about, um, we may have not used um, the term climate justice, but we really were talking about the environment, the setting, um, and when being so immersed um, in it, that's like hegemony, um, for example, not being able to really quite um, see things until we actually pause and reflect. Um, so when we're talking about climate justice, there's also that the interaction, um, what are those like mores, um, norms? Um, there's things that are written and there may be things that are not written. That may be a part of like an oral history or, or an understanding. Um, I think about like new graduate nurses um, as well as nurses who've been practicing within their specialty and what I will hear, for example, from some of the students I work with um, is they're, they're finding themselves when they know what it is that's going on, like population health wise and, and witnessing these moments of, oh no, I think there's going to be a discontinuity in care that's going to happen because certain words were used mm -hmm. or not um, addressing fully a question that someone has brought up and it's tied to social determinants of health because you're in that moment and, and what skill and scope does someone have in that moment to be able to do what they need to do. Um, so there's a lot of complexity around that. And then also the, the like you know, the first chain of command I continue to hear that. Um, I even see that written um, in my work life before, um, who can they talk to and whether or not that person will bring it up to the next yeah. chain of command. So there's like all these different structural um, layers. And as we talk about things, we're like, I think there's like structural issues that really shouldn't be there. And why is it still there? Um, those are things, those are really big questions um, that we continue to reflect on. I love that. I love that idea that we, you know, part of our adoption or thinking in, in this, in this um, uh, movement towards climate justice is to think about a just transition, right? And to have this idea that you can't transition to adaption um, if you're still in a resource extraction frame of mind, right? And resource extraction has a sort of hierarchy and I never thought about the chain of command, you know, uh, idea in terms of hierarchical positioning, but nurses need to question systems, right? We all need to question systems. We all need to be challenging systems. Um, Shamin, how does it work for you in terms of thinking around this link with climate justice and the urgency of addressing racism? So I, I've thought a lot about this question and I think Asian crit helps us to think about it because mm -hmm. it, it forces us you know, these critical theories, all they're doing is giving us a lens with which to look at a problem, right? And instead of assuming the problem is on the people or the problem is on the person experiencing the, the difficulty, is to look at what systems might be in place that could be causing this. And so Asian crit does something really interesting and it, it forces us to look at Asian people as not all being monolithic. Yeah. And so we know the experiences, the racialized experiences of different racial groups within the Asian category, which is so broad, are very different. And so that causes different kinds of racialized trauma or racial trauma for different groups of people. But beyond that, I, I imagine that very much is true for climate change. 
the climate crisis is impacting different people in different ways. And so at the same time, we're hearing the stories about the stressors people are facing with racism. They're experiencing environmental racism, racism as well in this, in this catastrophe that's happening. And so I think that part of listening and, and slowing down and, and really hearing people is hearing these narratives or what's called counter narratives in this uh, theoretical analysis um, is extraordinarily important because people aren't just impacted by racism, they're impacted by the effects of racism on different systems as well. So I don't know if that really answers the question, but that's no. how I've been thinking about that's it. That's lovely. Beth, Beth you, you had something to say on that? I, you you caught my interest, Shamim, on on the notion of you know we in the climate world we live with a lot of disinformation and a lot of um, context setting that um, might be very far removed from you know demonstrable reality empirical reality um, and so I was thinking as you were talking that that would be a, an aspect of critical climate theory and there might be analogies between critical race theory and critical Asian experience theory, if, that's, if that is a phrase. And uh, does that resonate with you? Would you see likenesses between, say, a critical race theory framework and a critical climate theory framework with disinformation, with different terms and language, with um, a lot of inequities involved and just painted into the structures? What, what would you say to that? I've never heard of critical climate theory. I just made it up. Okay. Based on what you said. <laughs> Sounds cool. Now a thing, everybody. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> so I don't, I don't, I, that's a really super interesting question that I don't know how to answer. Um, but where I, what I do see is that we could put climate into every one of these critical theories and, and think about how the environment is implicated by the racism in, within the system. So for instance, there's a native crit, which looks at specifically how race is um, implicated within the native population, within indigenous population. And we can, you, you all know who do climate work, the impacts of uh, racial injustice on the environment where there are so many reservations being taken advantage of for their mineral rights and for their, uh, for extraction. Um, so I, it, it'd be interesting to think about um, a new way of theorizing about climate if we were to insert and somehow interplay these theories. That's fascinating. I mean, I think I think that um, this, perhaps this is a question. This this gets back to what does the nurse do, right? What actions do you think nurses should take? And I guess if you could speak to how either you know critical race theory or Asian crit talks about, but I think it's more like Asian crit, but it's also the knowledges and the stories that we have, right? Instead instead of nurses just putting down that this is subjective information and I'm just putting this down here, that's a real loss inside the sort of empirical kind of model inside the notes that nurses are supposed to and taught that they have to take, right? That the stories that the people are telling us our heart stories, our stories of pain, our stories of trauma, our stories that can be used as counter narratives. Did you, you use that term, right? Can you use to, to, yes. counter narrative? Is that a strategy that nurses could take out of this conversation? Is to begin listening inside those conversations about racism that people are experiencing to be able to start developing counter narratives? Is that is that is that 
the idea around yeah. narratives? Because um, in terms of like, um, like in the field of nursing, we may, uh, when I'm saying we, in terms of like the nursing research I've done, like cultural narratives. Mm-hmm. So in, I, with the educational lens, I appreciated that Shamim brought, how about we call, um, refer to as counter narratives. Um, and there's the counter story. There's something about the impact of words that well, if we have not like, has not been a part of our upbringing mm-hmm. or as a part of our training can be another way. It's like a disruptive innovation, even though it's existed, but it exists outside of nursing discipline. It's a way to like stop, pause and reflect. And then to think about what, what does this mean for oneself? So then um, there's also like the theory around cultural safety um, and that originated in New Zealand um, and, and nurse midwifery really wanting to shift that power to the patients, to the clients where the, the patients, they're the ones who can determine whether or not they feel safe in their interaction with the healthcare provider versus a healthcare provider deeming, oh, I did this, this, and this, and thus this is, this is going to be safe for my patients. But rather that power needs to lie with the patients. So that's another way of thinking about from shifting power of determination really honoring when we say autonomy in decision-making and then knowing that people will come to the table with their um, expertise and it may not look like an ex- the expertise in the way that a healthcare provider may have in terms of formal training. Um, so again, that ties back to popular education, but it also has that cultural humility um, part. If, if we can for a moment, which takes a lot of courage, even this includes me, to relinquish my own expertise lens. Stay humble. That will help me not to have a threat to inductive thinking. It will help me to have information richness because I am truly deeply listening. And I came back from the National League of Nursing um, Education Summit, and that was in the um, uh, end of September 2021. Um, and the Pawati lecture was from Dr. Mary Fay. And according to Dr. Mary Fay, um, there's different um, listening, um, deep listening styles, um, one of which is um, the like task oriented. And there's a time and place for that. Um, I'm thinking like BLS, ACLS in terms of cold blue situation, get task oriented. Um, And then there's a logarithm. Um, And then there's the um, critical listening um, part, like something you've heard before, something you've read before. So if someone says something different, um, then you're like bringing that into the space of, oh, but this is what was said before. This is what was written before and bringing people back to whether it's facts or um, knowledge base. And then there's the analytical. So she went through four. So analytical, I was like, yeah, that sounds like my, my default style. Gathering a lot of assessment information and then bringing one's viewpoint. Once all the puzzle pieces come together in terms of information. And what's, what is important that we need to think about is the relational deep listening one that gets that that social connectedness and in research that is a primary predictor for resilience 
I'm going to use the term our people because I interact with culturally diverse community leaders and partners with immigrant refugees. Time and time again, they tell me it's so important that we get to tell our stories because there's power in the stories. And they are working with me in terms of what that means to have that written. But that power in the story has helped to drive health policy change as well. So that's something that when we think of that, that's happening outside and it may not be like the brick and mortar, what do you do before you interact with a client or, or a family? Because they may be on a ventilator and they may not be the person that's laying in the bed, but they also need to be cared for. Yeah. Are we, are we able to get at that connectedness or are we going to stay very task oriented because you're not the person that I'm caring for? But if someone brings a palliative care lens in terms of supportive care or like hospice lens, they said the, the word, the phrasing is we not, we, we care for the person who needs the supportive care or end of life care. And we also care for the people in this space. Mm-hmm. It's a great, so it's, great it's like, framing. It's you know, that framing framing. perception. And, that, and I wondered broader aspect in terms of listening to the environment, right? Listening to, um, listening to the voices of the family, but also the environment that surrounds that family, uh, where they're living, uh, the, the rivers and the creeks or the, dritches, or the ditches or the roads, all of those other sorts of places where, which, which, which is surrounding that environment. That's the that's relational listening as well. Shamin, any, any last comments on, on this? this I, I, on, I, in terms of what nurses can do? I was just thinking about this whole idea of counter narrative and why we use that term. And I think it's important to understand we use it because it runs counter to the narrative that we all know, right? So I am, I'm not a nurse, I'm not in that field at all, but at the same time as an educator, when we hear things that are foreign to us, right, that, that we're not familiar with, our tendency as humans is just to assume they're wrong. And I think by doing that, we end up saying things like, it probably wasn't as bad as you think, um, or it may not be what you think, what you saw it may not be what you think you saw. And I, I think that that causes those, har- those, those, that can cause some of those harms. So as, as, as nurses, uh, people in healthcare, if, if we can recognize that our reality is one and it may not be the same as anyone else's, right? The story we know may be not true for everybody um, and be really open in it. As Connie said, have some humility here, have some cultural humility um, and recognize that. I think it can make a really big difference because what we end up doing is negating people's experiences and really invalidating them. There's a term called microaggressions. You may have heard that term. Yeah. And one of the ways we microaggress people is called a micro um, invalidation. And anytime we say to someone, anything that suggests that their story may not be true or right or valid, then we are hurting them. We are racially traumatizing people. Yeah. And that's the exact opposite of what our goal is. And the children in the story in the articles, they, we learned a lot from the children and the parents um, said that it's because of our children that we're 
uplifting the voices and they said it's not when it's not right it's not right um and children's voices are very important well and and often ignored right and often ignored inside this process i'm, I'm a school nurse by training so um i spent a lot of time thinking about that this has been a fascinating conversation i so appreciate um, all of you being here um, Beth, is there any question that's burning in the back of your mind, or have you got anybody last comments? Uh, what did we miss? What did what did you want to say that we didn't get a chance to talk about? I would just I would add that um, it's really interesting to to think about the various ways that you all have called out um, uh, ways to understand how um, we can interfere with racism how we can, you know, jump, jump in or step aside in ways that are respectful and inclusive and, you know, your deep listening, as you said, and I love the, the idea of the counter narrative, probably because I spend so much time thinking about climate and our global crisis, I find a lot of ways that this is relevant to that. Mm -hmm. One being the counter narrative is so important counter narrative that, that many climate activists talk about all the time that is running counter to the day-to-day -day experience that people have in corporate society or in capitalistic society or in a, 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 a nation like ours right now where people are questioning the value and the power of their own voice. So that's one example. The, the ways that, that Robin was talking about where uh, in which climate impacts people differently uh, based on race, ethnicity, um, poverty or, you know, standard of living, gender, education, age, all of those things, these are all opportunities to do what you all are, have done in, in this paper and with your work of understanding experience and validating that experience. So I, I just find it very instructive today. I appreciate being able to listen in. If I may share, as a part of last comments, um, and Shamim, your your spirit stays with me wherever wherever you are and i and i get to be i have the honor of being in different spaces with shamim as well in um our leadership service work um on vancouver in terms of building a community of equity um something that has been very inspiring is um uh, as we are talking about and sharing about our article um one of our colleagues shamim dr sarah watchers in the um the college of agricultural let's see if i can say this human and is a very important name to the college um but she's in the human development um department um and her background is psychology and she also has a background as a preschool um early learning teaching so when she read about this article and here she's she's done a research with a graduate student surveying um and really getting at that uh, in terms of the anti um, Asian, the Asian experience with racism, discrimination. So we had a scholarly exchange and she wanted to see if we can partner. So we now have, we're dual um, principal investigators um, on um, coalition building for anti-racism in equity, diversity and inclusion and also community participatory health equity um, um, action research. So we're really um, examining things from the systems level from both um, um, partnering with Peace Health and Pacific Islander Community um, Association of Washington and also the Immigrant Refugee Community Organization in Oregon that has reached to Southwest Washington 
um, and then also um, partnering with like um, school of biological sciences, um, bringing in from doing hair sampling, cortisol, um, physiological measurement, um, examining what does that mean in terms of when we ask our people to share their body with science, um, because we ask that, oh yes, give me, we need a blood sample, like a complete blood count and comprehensive metabolic panel. We'll ask these things of someone's body. Have we really thought about the procedures and in which we're even interacting, especially when we're wanting to measure something around stress um, and really uplifting voices of families. Um, so that's underway. Um, now we're like, so this is what it means to do a, to operationalize what we want to do. So we're planting the seed to dismantle structural racism. Um, and it's really honored um, because of the work that we've been able to do and um, growing from that. And, and I was like, oh my gosh, this is like bravery. Every single time we have a conversation and continue to learn um, that helps us to grow. Wonderful. I'm so happy that this work is inspiring this next vision. Um, and, and I'm hoping that the work inspires other nurses across the US and, and elsewhere uh, across the globe to really consider how they place themselves uh, in terms of their racial identity and their work with racism that their patients are experiencing and their communities are experiencing and their, um, their, their environments. Shamim, any? Anything else did we miss? Oh, I'm sure we missed a lot, but I we do did. hope <laughs> I do hope folks will. Um, We're just getting started. <laughs> yeah, we should meet again. Um, I do hope folks will read the article and ask us questions. Um, it's we need we need people thinking critically about the system of healthcare um, as it relates to climate justice, as it relates to education. Um, and we need to start the conversation somewhere and this might be a good place for us to start. Thank you. Thank you both. Uh, thank you, Beth, for running this whole thing. Um, it's been a wonderful time. Uh, you guys have a great afternoon and uh, we will stay in touch uh, working on climate justice and racism in the world. Thank you very much. Felt thank you to Robin, Connie, and Shamim for this important conversation about racism. It opens many doors and begs for further conversation. In this series, we are discussing actions nurses can take about climate justice. And solving the challenges of racism is crucial for solving our climate and environmental crises. We can't get to equity unless we include all. And as our guests today have written and spoken about, that includes listening, sharing language, offering counter-narratives to learn about and reveal inequities and harm caused by racism. This is at the heart of climate justice, and I appreciate learning more today from these fine scholars. Please join us again for the Climate Justice series of the podcast. Check us out at envirn.org, and please subscribe, comment, and share the podcast. Thanks, and talk to you next time.